Warning, Mr. Cole and Mr. Rasner are not historians, journalists, or socialists. In the course of this episode, they will use profanity, consume alcohol, make inaccurate claims, and discuss violent and disturbing acts. Fact-checking and listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the epic episode 10. I am Mr. Cole. And I am the Sultan of Zanzibar. And this is Truck Talk. Welcome to Truck Talk. We only talk trucks by episode 10. You should have figured that out by now. And clearly we're qualified because we are expert on trucks and everything about trucks. Um, Today, because it is a special day, we have this cool ice chilled dispenser that holds up to a maximum of 88 ounces so it can go beyond our requirements of beer and what we've got in it is a giant black and tan which dave just expertly poured and uh, it's far from expert it was difficult it is not as well separated as one would hope but it tastes dandy and it's uh i think it's just a black (laughs) yeah i would describe it as an oreo cookie that's been mashed together yeah so one thing you don't want to do, <laughs> excuse me, I can't believe I sneeze on the damn podcast. You, I learned at, when researching beer, as one does, that in Ireland, <laughs> excuse me, Jesus, you don't want to uh, order a black and tan in a bar in Ireland. Uh, black and tan was the nickname of the British parliamentary force mostly made up of World War One English veterans. <coughs> Jesus, I'm getting attacked over here. <laughs> they worked to suppress the I- Irish independent movement of uh, in 1920 and 1921. They used brutal tacti- tactics, massacred civilians, and burned Irish towns. Calling someone a black and tan in Ireland is considered an insult. Ordering one may not get you punched but it would certainly show you are acutely ignorant dude i'm completely unaware of this yeah do you probably have ordered a black and tan haven't you been in ireland yeah i spent weeks there i probably ordered one and didn't know this history so those hard looks you were getting that's what that was (laughs) um so what you can do is do yourself a flavor, and when you're over there, order a half and half, which would be Guinness and Harp's Ale. That's what they call yeah, it. Yeah, Harp's good. Tough to get Harp around here. I wish we could get it. Uh, somewhat, it's, a, it's a lager, actually. Yeah, they didn't have it. That's why I went with the Boddingtons. Yeah. And I thought Safeway kept Harp's, but... No. No like, Harp to be had in Lakeport, or I'd be buying it all the time. Damn it. It is good. And it and it's one of the only loggers that I like go to. I mean, I'm mostly an ale guy, but Harp Lager is amazing. Well, that's cool. What else is new? Um, we have some pretty interesting correspondence um, 
you know, we're a bi-weekly podca- podcast, so you can count on us every two weeks, <laughs> uh, except for the last three, maybe it might have been four months that uh, it's taken us to get this episode out. Like, in fairness, we've been dealing with five and six day power outages and shit. Yeah, if you're, if you, you know, we're in Lake County, California. <clears throat> we are talking about a uh, local brewery, Kelseyville, Kelsey Creek Brewing. We have also beyond this tower of beer. A growler of their Jade Monkey IPA, which we will be drinking. And uh, we'll post a link to this on their site. Fantastic brewery right here in downtown Kelseyville. It's just nice to have something like that in town. And uh, as a matter of fact, we're drinking out of Kelsey Creek Brewery glasses that I picked up today, too. Fine choice. But uh, in between that, you some of you may have remembered <clears throat> we mentioned Alex Jones a little bit in the last episode. Ooh. So I reached out to him and I got back. <laughs> I thought this would be great. If anyone's going to give some crazy psychotic rant, I can't wait to see if if Alex Jones would respond to us. It would be amazing. Um, but what I got back was really we- weird. It said this mes- message cannot be delivered. Um, so I looked in the news to see what was going on with Alex Jones because it was his email. But it had this weird generic thing like... You can't talk to us, and we're not going to talk to you. Auto reply, kind of thing. Yeah, and what happened was, um, Alex Jones, all of his emails have been shut down, and uh, there's an investigation. He's being sued. As he claimed his email was hacked, he sent an email to one of the lawyers from the Sandy Hooks victims, and uh, it contained child pornography. Yeah, I heard about that. So uh, he has offered a million dollars reward to his viewers if they can help... uh, find out who planted these pictures in his email so it it, we didn't get the weird crazy response we expected from alex jones but this is just as weird (laughs) it's exactly what you would expect (laughs) nice uh i emailed esther ludlow from once upon a crime and uh from the last episode we talked about her podcast a great podcast um i've been enjoying it very much and uh, she actually responded and said, hey, finally got a chance to take a listen. Thanks. I was getting hungry with all that barbecue talk. LOL. Nice. So, you know, she listened That's pretty because right. I don't think we talked about that right in the beginning. It was kind of so she listened for a while. That's, That's cool. Very cool. And uh, oh, I told Jack Luna from Doc- Dark Topic that uh, we talked about him and uh, he said he would check it out. Which was cool. It's cool that these people at least respond, you know? The community is cool for the podcast. And then I had some really crazy stuff where people actually that listen to the podcast told me what they thought. Yeah. That could go either way. Uh, My new assistant manager listened, and uh, he was really interested. Remember our first episode you talked about one of your relatives? I do. That was William Barksdale. Yeah, in the Confederate Army, he was very interested with that. In yeah, that, and uh, really thought it was cool. So that was that was kind of cool to get some feedback from somebody. It'd be cooler if he was fighting for the right side. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> and I got a I got a plug. Uh, he that assistant manager has since um, started his own podcast. So it's a new podcast. There's about three episodes. It's called uh, Garage Sale Dating. Nice. And uh, it's him, and I'm pretty sure the other the women on the podcast with him are Jen and Nora, and I'm pretty sure one of them's his wife, and the other is a friend, and um, the friend of Bill and his wife um, talks about uh, 
a time in her life where she used various different dating apps and stuff. Sure. And uh, <clears throat> just how wrong things can actually go. And uh, it's pretty goddamn funny. I found myself laughing. I really enjoyed it. So check out Garage Sale Dating. And then um, I had a, another kind of crazy experience. I met one of Sophie's friends, my daughter. His name's Cade. He's a butcher at Safeway. And, I like him already. Uh, yeah, he's a butcher, dude. He's got the meat. <laughs> and I, I mentioned our, that we were doing a podcast, and he listens to, uh, I want to say Murderific and a few other, some true crime podcasts I listen to, some I haven't, so it was cool talking to him. And uh, I uh, bumped into him like the next day because I went to Safeway to buy some shrimp, and then <clears throat> he's like, hey, I listened to your podcast. I said, oh, really? You, you just listen to the like the... <clears throat> The teaser or the first episode? Oh, no, dude, I listened to the first three. I'm like, holy shit, you listened to three episodes? Hat tip to you, Cade. I said, that's awesome. What do you think? And, and you know, he was he was kind of like, he's all, you know, it's good, but, you know, I'm, I'm just not really, I haven't figured out what my political orientation is yet, you know. And I said, dude, you're young. He's This kid's like 21, 22, maybe. He's my daughter's age. Uh, at, you know, I'm a metalhead. My my political view forever was let it rot for until the last five years. And I said, dude, I didn't think we were that political. But dude, dude we think about how much we're holding back. Like I, I know. we're going out of our way to not bring politics into it. I I think uh, maybe I need to go back and listen to it with a different perspective. Maybe we're more political than we even realize. Well, in fairness, there's large swaths of that first episode that I don't remember because we. That was, there were some were destroyed. Yeah, the the original concept on how this podcast would work. Um, well, if you want to follow that model, you'll find a great way to keep your wife from talking to you, <laughs> as long as you want her to leave you alone. <laughs> Mistakes were made. Yeah, to drink between two guys, fourteen beers in an hour, and think that we could um, bloviate on any topic with any. Uh, surety was a poor choice yeah but you know like i explained to him i mean really you helped me find my political perspective or whatever when you start getting older and you you think about your children you have to think you know what what am i leaving for them you know you kind of start paying attention and uh, i found out that uh i've always said there's no political party that matches my views but libertarian really does you know, smaller government, more personal freedom. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's not perfect, but it might just be the best we can do. That's right. And, you know, um, there we go, waxing all political. Um, oh, and this is another interesting piece of correspondence. Remember the episode where we talked about um, the guy that owned Ham's Brewery that got kidnapped? Yes. Ham's Brewery is following us on the Twitter. Nice. <laughs> Pretty cool. I thought, that, I thought that was really When cool. was the last time you sent out a tweet? Um, Probably when we recorded last episode? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, we've been kind of failing. Um, I want to talk about these couple of books here. Let's do it. So I got this book. This first one is uh, by Jonathan Kellerman. And it's called Dr. Death. So immediately... <clears throat> Kevorkian comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And that's really what this book is about. It's a fictional book 
about the murder of a Kevorkian-like guy. And as this author's kind of talking about it, you know, it's a, he, he's a very kind of kind of crime thriller type of writer. Very um, straightforward, but pretty good characters in here. So he's got some good characters, but of course you can't think to forget that he's going to talk about meta- <laughs> medical serial killers. That's Enzo, Dave's dog. <clears throat> he is super entertained right now. <laughs> and he kind of mentions about how four nurses all worked together to kill people in a hospital we're aware of this which we know about the he doesn't say the the nurses and i want to say the place was lanes it was it was europe right yeah i want to somewhere over there switzerland or something and then he talks about two um nurses that were lesbian lovers that were playing some weird name game with who they were murdering which, that that one was even better that which we were very recently there covering. are photos of in one of them you know one of them is is fairly attractive posing with dead bodies and stuff oh that's um the one from italy yeah yeah she's uh that's still going on <laughs> so it was just interesting it's a work of fiction if you if you like also i can't it's we, good we have to like since we've brought these topics back up so, so Mr. Cole's pouring a beer, and it, it's a pretty good black and tan color. Yeah. We, we've talked about <clears throat> some of these cases of medical serial killers where we go back and look it up, and they're out. Yes. Their sentences were short. They served them. You know, prison system being what it is, people get released early because it's expensive. Too. A lot of other countries are weird on how lenient they are. On yeah, the I mean, there, there's no capital, shockingly lenient, no capital shit that occurs in Europe that I know of. So, like we've talked about nurses that have killed countless people that served a decade and they're out, and we're talking about them so far after the fact that these people are you know back in the community. picking their grand grandchildren up from school and stuff it's crazy <clears throat> and uh new identities i believe um we're talking about a fine gentleman at some point today that fits that exact description you just gave oh yeah <clears throat> and uh like is fongo out i don't know he might be dude he might this is uh oh no i don't think no i don't think michael swango's out no okay um, it's funny you say that because this book talks about Michael Swango. So this is uh, Devil in the White City um, by Eric Larson. If you've never heard about it, this is one of um, the most famous books I thought on H.H. H. Holmes. Um, and it and it is, but it is more about the World's Fair than anything, which, believe it or not, is super interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of things we that wouldn't exist um, if we hadn't had the World's Fair. Like, sure. It's the first Ferris wheel that was like, <clears throat> they wanted to do something better than the Eiffel Tower, and that's how we got Ferris wheels. Um, I'm not sure it's better than the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I'm not sure they succeeded there. I don't know, but <laughs> the, the, you hear in this book, they talk about all the different ideas they had. It, yeah. they're, they're amazing what they were talking about doing at that time in the world. The thing that sticks out <clears throat> to me is the debate between power grid direct current versus altering current and yes that's an edison that's an interesting story in itself edison versus tesla and they electrocute an elephant yeah 
in front of a live audience to show how supposedly dangerous Altering Current is. Also, this... Um, it's horrific. They believe that the World's Fair influenced um, Walt Disney because his father worked on this. Oh, yeah. And uh, so there's a, a lot of people argue that if that hadn't happened, there wouldn't be Disneyland. Disneyland. But what really interested me, and I, I hope I marked the page here. Yes, I did. <clears throat> oh, yeah. In 1997, police in Chicago arrested a physician named Michael Swango at O'Hare Airport. The initial charge was fraud, but Swango was suspected of being a serial killer who murdered hospital patients through the administration of lethal doses of drugs. Eventually, Dr. Swango pled guilty to four murders, but investigators believe he committed many more. Uh, and we haven't covered this yet, but we will. Dave and I have both read a book that is shocking about Swango. Dude. Uh, during Mur the, murder spree spans multiple continents. Yeah, and hospitals just kept kind of passing him along because yeah. they're like, uh, "We got a problem, and we think it's this guy." Let's we just, we talked about him in previous episodes. Let's just move him down the road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. During the airport arrest, police found in Swango's possession a notebook in which he had copied passages from certain books, either for the inspiration they provided or because of some affirming resonance. One passage for, was from a book about H.H. H. Holmes called The Torture Doctor by David Frank. The copied message sought to put the reader into Holmes's mind. He could look at himself in a mirror and tell himself that he was one of the most powerful and dangerous men in the world, Swango's notebook read. He could feel that he was a god in disguise. So, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> And that segues nicely into, I kind of have like a little historical, interesting story in history. Have you ever heard of the Whitechapel Club? No. So. The only thing I know about Whitechapel is Jack the Ripper stuff. Right. And there's a lot of people that believe, um, as we've talked about before, that H.H. Um, H. Holmes may have been um, Jack the Ripper. Yeah, we we are unconvinced. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Um you know, Jack the Ripper, or H.H. H. Holmes was going to be executed. So why wouldn't he claim those murders, too, if it was him? Right. And if in, in The Devil in the White City, it, it literally states that he was infatuated with <clears throat> Jack the Ripper. Yeah, I, I'm not convinced. Me neither. But the Whitechapel Club started in 1989 in Chicago, Illinois, by a group of newspaper men. The Whitechapel Club was named after the place in London where Jack the Ripper killed his victims. Mm -hmm. There were also musicians, physicians, lawyers, and artists in the club, as well as some well-known persons. And you're going to know these, recognize these famous people right away. Uh, Finley Pete Dunn, uh, the famous uh, brand Whitlock, and of course, like you expected, George Ade, just to name a few. <laughs> I have, I have no idea who the fuck those guys are. Uh, where they met looked more like a murder museum than anything else. A life-size model of their president stood in the corner while the walls were decorated with nooses, knives used to commit murder, pictures of pirate beheadings, 
and Indian blankets that were stained with blood. Scattered around the room were skulls that they drank red juice from. Since their president never showed up to a meeting, who was obviously Jack the Ripper, (laughs) they were led by the vice president, and they started around midnight. Cigars, pipes, and alcohol were consumed in excess at these meetings. Sounds amazing. They were private, but sometimes guests were allowed. Attendees would tell jokes, stories, or read monologues and poems. When a bro, when a member rose to speak, it was the custom in the White Chapel White Chapel Club to roast the individual by yelling insults. <clears throat> Sounds like something we would do. It just seems normal. Yeah. <laughs> in later years of its existence, it became very popular to be a part of this group, and it became very difficult to join. Their first rule was that only two members of the same profession were allowed. A candidate had to go through an initiation. A probationary member was required to attend meetings for one month and could be rejected at any time (coughs) by any member that the club voted and a single no meant the person was out. Jeez. The club began to lose its exclusiveness and reputation as more and more rich and powerful people were admitted. It disbanded in 1894 after five years. 1894? Yeah. So the weird. Is it 1888 when Jack the Ripper was doing his thing? I think so. Sounds about right. I'm no historian, but. Uh, oh, no, we are historians. I'm an expert on historians. <laughs> I know all about them. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, yeah. So, like I said, had you have you ever heard of Arnfin Nesset? Have not. Probably because. Our Finn Nesset is known as the worst Scandinavian serial killer of all time. He was convicted of 21 murders, but he is suspected of killing up to 138 people. That just, if it's in Scandinavia, that just means they're all really good looking. Yes. The number is questionable as Nesset admitted to police, I've killed so many over the years, I'm unable to remember them all. It's a first world problem. Yeah, I mean... One, two, uh, I don't know. He was raised from childbirth by his mother, who was a single parent. He never knew his father. Uh, This kind of domestic situation is something a lot of serial killers have in common. And he became a registered nurse after completing his schooling. He worked in the industry for 20 years before becoming the administrator of Oakdale Valley Nursing Home in 1977. Being a Philip Wait, where is Oakdale Valley? That doesn't sound very Scandinavian. I think they um, put it into American terms rather than putting the Scandinavian way of saying that. Oh, okay. So that's a translation. All right. I'm guessing, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Being a facility that featured geriatric, geriatric care, deaths were expected. Still, after Nesset took the position... The death rates rose dramatically. The high mortality rate continued for years and was eventually accepted as the new norm. One employee noticed that Nesset placed a large order for a drug that was a poison used by South American tribes to dose the tips of their arrows. What? I have to know. Uh, I think it comes up here in a minute. The order did not make sense to the employee who didn't know what to do. 
I don't know, maybe contact the police. Huh. Uh, but no, the employee confided in a local journalist who knew exactly what to do. The journalist contacted the authorities. Nesset was brought in for questioning at age 46. He claimed that he ordered the drug to dispatch a pack of feral dogs that were attacking the hospital's garbage cans. A call to animal control would have been the correct move, obviously, but it soon became clear that this reason was a complete fabrication. When he surprised the police officers by admitting that he killed so many he couldn't remember them all. He admitted that he started killing patients in 1962 right after beginning his career as a registered nurse. He admitted to he admitted to killing patients in three other medical institutions over the years. <clears throat> he always used the same poison. Why was the ordering of the drug curare, C U R A R E not noticed for so long? I mean, this doctor's ordering <clears throat> poison. It's several it, must, it must have an use within a hospital. So what, I, I guess know. we have to know more. I guess if dogs are getting to the garbage cans, you would <laughs> order that. <clears throat> he was charged for 27 murders he confessed to, but it was hard to charge him for other murders as the drug breakdowns quickly in the system. He was also charged with forgery and embezzlement. Oh, was, geez. What's the details there? Yeah. No details. Uh, he was found guilty for 22 counts of murder. He got 21 years, which is the harshest Norwegian penalty at the time. So he only, he's out. Oh, yeah. He only served 12 years and was released in 2004. After his release, he promptly disappeared. It's believed that he murdered up to 138 people and that he is living under an assumed name in Norway. He was said to claim that he killed people because of his schizophrenia, or that they were mercy killings. Then he said he was making room in the clinic for more patients. And finally, he said it gave him a morbid pleasure. How are you spelling that again? The drug? Yeah. C-U-R-A-R-E. Yeah. We will never know the true motive of Arnfin Nesset. Seems like it's a paralytic. Yeah, they they dose their uh, spears with it. Their little arrows. Oh, it's totally a paralytic. I bet hospitals use it for intubation. Oh, that makes sense. So maybe that's how he was able to get away with it for so long. Crazy man. Yeah. <clears throat> I never heard about him before, ever. Norwegians. Yeah. <laughs> There's just no telling. <laughs> it's like a whole nother world. <laughs> so our boy Mike Boudet of Sword and Scale is once again in the news. And this is kind of cool because uh, it um, involves another uh, podcast that I really enjoy, uh, Obscura. Um, 
This is from The Verge. The headline is, Sword and Scales Mike Boudet Threatens Legal Action Over Claims He Review Bombed a Rival Podcast. His legal team sent a cease and, dece- cease and desist letter to another true crime podcast host. So, um, the I follow the guy that does uh, Obscura, <clears throat> who never says his name in the podcast, but here we learn his name. Um, <clears throat> his post that he put on Facebook was, you know, Mike Boudet says he stands up for freedom of speech, but he's telling me to shut my mouth, basically. Right. Uh, and it goes, uh, Mike Boudet, host of true crime podcast Sword and Scale, is threatening legal action against another true crime podcast host who claimed Boudet bombarded him with one-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Wait, like, how could he bombard, how could he do that? I don't know. He, like, told his audience to go review this guy one star? I've never heard Mike Boudet say, give this guy one star, but I guess it's like a computer thing you can do. Huh. It seems like you would need a bunch of identities to do that, though. Yeah. Justin Drown, the host of Obscura, so finally I know his name's Justin, made the allegations and comments to The Verge that were published last week. Boudet didn't respond to a request to comment at the time, and Boudet and his lawyers didn't respond to a request for a comment on this article. Drown speculated that an influx of one-star podcast reviews for Obscura could have originated from Boudet hiring an automated service to inundate the show with bad ratings in an attempt to decimate the rival show. Earlier in the week, the Tampa Bay Times profiled Drown and briefly mentioned his criticism of Boudet as a true crime host. Drown also feuded with Boudet while serving as a moderator on a subreddit for Boudet's show. Uh, Boudet's podcast lost distribution after he posted this. Well, we know that Michael Boudet lost his job after he posted the sexual sexist comment. Um, but he got it back. But he got it back. And um, I will tell you, I've been listening to it, and it's just as good as it ever was. Maybe even better. And he got back Monstro, too. Um, there's a whole second season. And um, if you want to be superiorly disturbed and grossed out, um, check out Monstro. It's the most extreme thing. It's actually is. the third season. Because what most people don't know is the first season was Disney's Pinocchio. Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> so... I, so uh, obviously, more on this. I don't think there's much more really. It's come to my attention that we have been victims of a one-star, <laughs> one-star uh, disinformation campaign against our podcast. Well, actually, I don't think that's possible since we've only had two reviews, and uh, it was Wyatt and Sophie, and they both gave us five stars. No, no. they're suppre- <coughs> they're suppressing things. Like so I would like to uh, blame. Uh, Timmy Herfenerbler for his uh, one-star attack campaign against our podcast. So he hired a whole company to do that? Yeah. I mean, there's Fucking there's Timmy. basements full of people in China <laughs> <laughs> making up fake identities. The beer is pouring nice, by the way. We're getting smarter as we go here. It's, it's... We're most of the way through our 84-ounce black and tan. Yeah, it's disappearing quick. Yeah, it is. Gravity. <clears throat> Gravity fed. 
We have um, we have penalty whiskey. Um, if you're a longtime listener, you understand what the penalty is. If you are not, then you'll just have to figure it out. But um, we have Suntory Toki from Japan here, Japanese whiskey. It smells and tastes like a scotch, like all Japanese whiskeys do. But um, anyway, that's, that's very what it nice. Is. Want to smell? I do. It smells like a very mild blended scotch. Yeah. But and we don't even have glasses, so if there's a penalty, we're just we're just lipping the bottle. That's all good. Yeah, it's filthy. So I want to ask you about um, this episode on Glenn Beck about this. It's not the ultimate scary house, but it, it's that. I mean, you could think of it that way, but it's something different. So I listened to a Glenn Beck from On or About Halloween, where he interviews uh, a guy named last name McCamey. His first name escapes me. And he um, operates a service for adrenaline junkies that it was initially explained to me as the ultimate haunted house, but that's not actually a very good explanation. Because there aren't really like ghosts and shit jumping out at you, right? No. And, and <clears throat> there he has no other employees except himself involved in the experience itself he has a few i think people that work for him that go out and interview your friends and loved ones about you to find out what most terrifies you terrible and he also states that the friends and loved ones are always willing to provide this information oh it is not hard to get this information out of people but he so he he puts research you know, at least phone calls into each experience. And each experience is individually tailored for the person who is doing it. Um, and the the idea is to intentionally subject yourself to terror that has your darkest fears woven into it. And we watched videos of it occurring to a few different people, and it basically looks like enhanced interrogation techniques. And when I heard McCamey interviewed, he basically said that that is um, the long and the short of it. That's tr- that is what it's occurring. It's also um, he attempts to hypnotize the person and he's probably pretty good at that and I believe that the hypnosis occurs uh, at varying degrees I, I, I don't think it's as we've all seen hypnosis shows at the fair where he tells someone they're MC Hammer and they bust out Hammer Time dance in front of an audience and then don't remember it I don't think it's that simple I think that <clears throat> McCamey probably starts attempting to hypnotize at the beginning and probably fails because people understand what's going on. But his experience is so long and drawn out and exhausting 
that at some point he succeeds because probably of the fatigue of the individual. So it's a it's a ten hour thing, right? <clears throat> Who knows, right? Like so, the he he does not answer that question. Oh, very well, on in the interview that I heard, which was half an hour long. Um, he says that it's ten hours, but it's questionable when the ten hour mark starts. <laughs> there's something you have to do to initiate the 10 hour mark and not everyone even makes it to that point. Hmm. And th- in order to prepare you for this, the day before you have a full day of tests, which would be exhausting. And then I believe you're on that night. So you're already up. Like, like think of a 10 hours of torment starting when you're sleepy wanting to go to bed. Right? So you're tired starting this off. Yeah. Plus, you're cold and wet the entire time because he's intentionally making you cold and wet. So it's tricky business and it's tricky starting out. It's it's tricky saying that it's 10 hours because in order to even get to where the 10-hour clock would start, he already is having you hold yourself underwater for as long as you possibly can so he can see how long you can hold your breath because that's going to be necessary later on dude right so and that's like 10 o'clock in the morning day before and you don't get to sleep (laughs) so it's tricky business but um at any rate i i found it compelling that people are interested in doing this and and he has a waiting list and people want to do it, and he does two people a week. Wow. Two people a week. <clears throat> and his waiting list is long, and he gets repeat customers. Wow. People that haven't made it. Oh, um, by the way, if you make it the full 10 hours, you get $20,000. No one's ever collected, and he says no one ever will. Wow. He says no one's ever come close to collecting. And he 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 tries very hard to make it so that the people who are coming in to participate aren't financially motivated. He says it's important to him that you get something out of it and if you're just there for the money, you're just going to be disappointed and leave angry because no one's ever going to make it the 10 hours. Well, little boy blue, he needed the money. Well, I think Timmy Herfenerbler yes. <laughs> that is launching the one-star campaign on our, our podcast. You son of a bitch. <laughs> needs to be interrogated. But I'll tell you what. Um, <clears throat> I was kind of explaining this to Jamie, and she's like, so um, it sounds easy. I'm like, no. No, like Navy SEALs can't do this shit. Yeah. And she's like, well, so you want, what are you, why are you telling me this? You want to do this? I said, fuck no, I'm not going to no, do it. No, it's just I'm a little of conversation. Bitch. I'll yeah. just start crying right away. And I won't even get five minutes. I, um, yeah, I have no interest. No. No. It, it's, it's so, and, and you can go on and watch videos of him on YouTube. He has them posted on his website. It's com, And I've watched several of them. And it appears 
that he is um, subjecting a willing participant to high degrees of discomfort. And it's very disturbing to watch. Um, where there's no injury that occurs, but extreme mental distress and exhaustion. And it also probably is apparent that these people are slightly hypnotized. And I don't understand hypnosis. Hypnosis is very odd. It goes way beyond the scope of this yeah. podcast. But um, I, I, I'm not interested. But what the, the thing that is most interesting to, to us, and maybe for the sake of this podcast, is that he has politicians trying to shut him down. Hmm. Um, there are petitions circulated with hundreds of thousands of signatures trying to get him shut down in the places where he's existed. He initially was in San Diego, my hometown, and he's not anymore. And now he's, uh, in the South somewhere, I, maybe Tennessee. I, I shouldn't even say the state cause I'm probably not right. But, um, at any rate, one out of 50, you, you take, you roll the dice. <clears throat> Well, it's south of the Mason-Dixon line, so it's really more like one out of 25. <laughs> but um, should this be allowed? Well, for, for me, that's a very easy question to answer. You have two adult willing participants. The answer is yes. I agree. But um, it's it's not that cut and dry for many people out there. And after watching some of his videos, it is disturbing to watch um just a few minutes i was able to catch i'm like i'm not letting anyone do that to me no way yeah yeah there so mccamey right so like like i i watched a, a, enough to know kind of what was going on right um a hypnotized person taking a stun gun and electrocuting themselves with it under hypnosis you know that's one of the things that was in there um, and how hypnotized was that person? Well, who the fuck knows? Because there's no way to measure that. Right. And hypnosis is, God, it's not science. It's, it's maybe an art. It's just this side of snake oil. It's crazy. I've seen it. I know it exists. Oh, wait till we talk about Argio. We're gonna. Is have... this the, <clears throat> the yeah. healing doctor in South America? Yeah, we've got to get there. I'm, I'm close to getting done. We're gonna have an episode about. Um, there is such a thing as beneficial possession, where it's a possession for uh, reasons to help mankind be better, and. Um, this particular doctor from he wasn't a doctor he was a just a a normal guy um was part of that and uh, i think there's more than just him as far as people getting taken over by dead spirits that want to do good in the world it's a beneficial possession uh, it's coming up Soon, as soon as I finish this book, I'll get you the book. I know you're intrigued to read this. I'm obsessed, dude. It's shocking. It's just like you can't even believe it. I want to see. There's video, um, from that time 
uh, was this seventies? I believe so. Yeah. So, um, that dilapidated book that you showed me looked like I, it was written in the, the 70s. The book I got they at the bookstore, the used bookstore, they just gave it to me. They're like, oh, you can just have this it's piece of shit. Apart. It's falling yeah. apart. It's in two pieces right now. Dude, um, so. But I'm very interested in that subject. So interesting. And, like, we have all gone and seen movies that were based on bullshit. This very week, Laura and I watched White Men Can't Jump from the early 90s. We went back and rewatched it. It's just a lot of dirty language, really, right? At the time when I was a kid, I thought it was the greatest movie ever. Watching it now, I was like, eh. Like, the truth is that there are real things in the world that are so interesting and real stories to be told that I, I'm basically not ever going to watch a movie again I never say never you're not getting me to a theater for any movie that's not based on a real story anymore come on because dude no Dr. Sleep's at the theater right now it's a shining part two dude I, I, I'm not going to get there but you know what I'm going to go see Ford versus Ferrari of course. I'm going to go see Midway and 1917 because those are all real stories that are being told that's true and that's what takes that's what it takes to get me to theater now. I'll probably be at Doctor Sleep right next door. Doctor Sleep, you know, might occur. <clears throat> I might watch that in my living room, you know. But Stephen King, dude, part two. At any rate, this story about what's his name? Which story? Oh, it's spelled A R I G O. Arigo. Arigo. I, I don't know how you really say it. Who is somehow. And a, that's really a nickname that means. Is he like, Argentine? Brazil. Brazil. He's a Brazilian. You know what's his what's his day job? What's his profession? He um, he works for. It's like a carpenter or something, right? Like he like Ar, the Ar, Arigo is a nickname that means like country bumpkin or something <laughs> crazy. He's just this big goofy guy, and he like um works in um he has a government job and then um <clears throat> then he um medically treats people for all kinds of ailments for free when he's possessed and taken over by Dr. Fritz a German doctor from before like World War 1 the ghost of this German doctor but like for anyone who listens to this right like so medically treats people I'm not saying that he suggests that you get more exercise and, you know, maybe try to uh, get more fiber to relieve your constipation. No, he does surgery with rusty pocket knives on people's eyeballs. With, and, and just wipes it on a shirt next. And, and and they appear to feel no pain. And they're lined up. And the person behind them in line doesn't get out of line. They, they like... They fucking... They sit still and wait their turn. And submit to the same thing. And then they get better. I'm pouring some of this IPA, by the way. And he... Kelsey Creek Brewing. Kelsey Creek Brewing. They do a fine job. Jason, yeah. hat tip to you. Your beer's good. Um, the people, you know, this guy doesn't get 
doesn't go out of business because people stop lining up to get treated. It's he gets government. shut down by the government, right? Like, it's it's fucking crazy. It's just, there's no accounting for it. And doc, the doctors that did the studies and stuff on him are astounded because <clears throat> he, he's most famous for doing cataract surgeries. Just pushes a guy up against a wall and sticks a knife into his eye and moves it around and pulls out the cataract. And then if it bleeds, he just says, God does not want you to bleed. And the blood stops and the guy walks away and he can see. But in addition to doing this, he like, he like works on vaginas too. Yes. There's a disturbing, (laughs) uh, vagina tumor part in that book that I, my jaw was dropping open. Just imagining because the family's gathered around her because she's dying and, him and his wife go there to pay their last respects and <clears throat> Dr. Fritz takes over him and he goes in the kitchen and gets a knife and starts stabbing it into her vagina. And women and children are screaming and he rams his hand in there and pulls out a tumor and like goes into the kitchen and, and like falls on the ground and like throws this tumorous growth into the sink and he's like crying and the woman got better like so so she was gonna die so this story has not been told by hollywood right like no think of all the stupid shit like you've seen in a movie theater this story should have been told it's not been told yeah we're definitely gonna do some more some deeper research on that and uh i don't think it's the only one you can a, a big part of me thinks it's like you've always seen the stories of these face faith healers well they'll they're they'll conceal a little plastic wrap of a little piece of chicken meat inside of a plastic chicken livers were famous for that yeah and they'll like tear the plastic open and blood will pour out and it'll ma- they'll make it look like they're pulling this thing out of their body yep. and then they wipe it all off and there's nothing there and sometimes the person gets better sometimes they don't because it's uh they think that something's happened and the mind is powerful but from reading the things they say about this guy it doesn't uh it doesn't sound like that he's stabbing knives into people without anesthesia and they they claim that they feel no discomfort whatsoever and they get better and they get better and then he prescribes prescriptions that are so off the wall Sometimes old prescriptions that are almost never applied, never prescribed anymore, and sometimes <clears throat> prescriptions that are so new they're not even available in the country yet. How does he have that knowledge? Crazy. And the other thing that's very interesting is he'll prescribe a, like five different types of things, and usually in really large quantities that don't make sense to conventional doctors, and people get better. But then when a normal doctor prescribes those same medications for the same situation, it does nothing. Like it's something about how him prescribing it. And uh, he's not allowed to take any money or payment for it. That's the other thing. Like he's not like faith healers are notorious for being up to 200 patients a day. And he still has his daily job and goes home to his family and everything else. It's like... His daily job, but like, it's let's like be specific, when, he's a country bumpkin. Yes. It's like That's when... his day job. When Dr. Fritz takes over, he's just lights out. 
Yeah. He doesn't. They showed. They sat him down and showed him footage of what he does. They're like, dude, do you realize what you do? He's a lot. It's not me. It's Dr. Fritz. <laughs> Watch this movie. He screamed and left the room. He's like, that is horrible. <laughs> they're like, dude, that's you. <laughs> Super interesting. Just a very amazing book. And uh, apparently there's many more books on him. Um, from what I understand, it hasn't gotten there yet, but I'm very close to being done. He has a fatal car crash at some point. Crazy. Because he would just jump in his truck or car and just drive like a madman like you do in that area. And they just don't even think about it. Right. Um, you should see this book that Mr. Cole's reading. It's falling apart. It's yeah. like it's the most dilapidated book you've ever seen. I could go on the Amazon and buy one that's in good health, you know. But, like, also, like, this is a really compelling story. Like, how yeah. come no one is talking about this? It's crazy. Yeah. And I'm, <clears throat> as soon as I finish it, I'm going to, I want to see, because th- there's footage of about a bunch of stuff. I want to see that shit. That's the Guinness getting low. Boom. Now, if we finish this, is that our 84 ounces? I don't know. I think it's more than 84. We're supposed to do 84 ounces each, right? I think we... I don't know if we could survive. <laughs> well, I can attest we did have a fine dinner before we started the podcast, so... That's true, we did. We're not making mistakes. Keto was fuck right up until we drank the beer. Yeah, we just ruined it. Yeah, we did. Dude. Oh, I have one other thing I wanted to talk about. Let's do it. So, if you've listened to the past episodes, I've talked about the beers I was going to be making for the event in November in Ukiah. That did not happen because my son's suddenly getting married in January, so I kind of took all those beers and I'm putting them out to his wedding. Sounds smart. I will be there. I'll be drinking those beers. You you will have those beers. If you're invited, you're going to have them. Um... I will still be doing the event in June in Lake County. Unless someone else wants to get married that's imminent. Nobody comes immediately to mind. Yeah, I don't don't know. (laughs) It's like every day that goes by, something crazy happens. It's weird. I hear you. But that's really all I got this week. Anyway, Wyatt and... You know, the bi-weekly podcast that we do have. Wyatt and Erica, hat tip, congratulations. Yes, congratulations. Um, how are we doing on time? Oh, I think we're like... I think this is a short episode for an epic 10th episode. Oh, 54 minutes. Yeah, we're right on, right so, on track. Let me... Because um, it'll shut off at like... Right at an hour. Okay, well, I, I'll talk for a few minutes. Um... Or I can stop it and go again, and it won't limit us. No, let's talk. All right. Um, recently, I had occasion to talk with... Oh, man, I got to be careful. Recently, I had occasion to talk with my dad, and he made a comment... Where he basically said, I, I, I said, like, you know, 
I'm I'm just trying to parent these young children. I'm just trying my best. I don't always get it right. Um, it's obvious to any thinking human being that if you look back in your life by several years, there are things that you used to believe were true that you no longer believe are true. Things that if you look back, you got wrong. And what that means, if you're honest with yourself, is that there are things that you're wrong about right now that you will realize later on that you're wrong about. Well, you know, that's tricky business when you're trying to raise young children because, you know, you're trying to teach them the truth right now. And you think that truth will always be true and that shit will fuck you up when you realize that you're wrong. And there are things that you truly believe right now that you're going to teach your kids and later on that's going to turn out to be incorrect. So that's tough. And what I could see probably was that my dad was looking at me parenting my kids and basically saying that, I'm probably have new insight as a dad and probably can see things that he got wrong when he was trying to parent me. And that is obviously true. And it's also okay. Um, you know, I love my dad and this doesn't change that. And all of that really connected when Laura and I talked about uh, I believe it's a chapter in a Jordan Peterson book called The Future is a Judgmental Father. And this shit can change your life. Um, what occurred to us to be true is what... Um, is the idea of looking at Christianity and the Judeo-Christian ethic, but maybe you don't believe in God. So that's, that's basically thinking that all of us Christians and Jews or whatever have this imaginary friend in the sky. Well, like what then, right? Because that means that all these people that profess this faith are living as if there is a judgmental father watching over their shoulder. Because a judgmental father is the way that God is portrayed in the Old and New Testament. Well, what what is that like, right? So what what we come to find out is that at the end of your life Maybe you'll be judged by God, maybe you will not. Either way, who you will definitely be judged by is you at a later time and probably your kids. So that's... How much time do I have? That's tricky business because that's not pretend... And that's not. I need more time. Do we right, need to pause it or what? Second. Yeah.
All right. What were you saying? Dude, so, like, let's say you get to the end of your life, and you, <clears throat> you're, you're thinking about life as uh, lived under the watchful eye of a judgmental father, sort of the way the, the Bible portrays it. Well, like, let's say there's nothing to God and, and, and all that. So what's really going to occur is at the end of your life is you're going to be judged by you as an elderly person looking back at your life um, when you were younger. And more importantly, you're, you're going to be judged by your children and maybe even your grandchildren if you live to be old enough. And they're not going to be little kids anymore. They're going to be adults and they're going to be mothers and fathers. So for me, it's really interesting because what's true is that I have a son and I will probably live to be, you know, 75 years old. Statistically, it's probably true. And when I'm 75, Leo will probably be, well, that's just a math problem, but that math is impossible. He'll be he'll be, you know, 40 or something. And what he will be is a judgmental father because he will be a father. And as a man, you're not really a man until you've tried to raise children. Like that's it's important. That's controversial, but if you don't like that, fuck you. But at any rate, what turns out to be true is that whether God is real or not, who will judge me in my final days, who will judge me, like, right now, like, it's 2019, I'm 37 years old, I had a full day today, and I have a full day tomorrow, and I'm gonna try my best, and I'm either gonna fucking get it right, or I'm gonna fail, but whatever happens... I'm living my life right now, and that life, what I do today and tomorrow is subject to judgment later on Yes. by me at a later date and by my son, who will probably be about the age I am now when I'm dying. And I'm currently, as we speak, a judgmental father. And I'm trying my best to live my life so that if a judgmental father were looking over my shoulders, that I would do okay holding up to that judgment. Because in my mind, that's what God is. And whether or not God is real, what will definitely occur is that in my last days, my life will be judged by a judgmental father and that will be my son and so I'm left to conclude that even if there is no God if you live as though God the judgmental father will judge you later on you will do very well when you're actually being judged by your children and grandchildren 
and by yourself. That's all I got. All right. So, <clears throat> in closing, I would like you guys to check out uh, my YouTube channel. It is Mr. Cole's Homebrew. You can see Dave and myself there drinking beer and making beer and talking about uh, upcoming events. And, of course, you'll hear a lot of underground music. Um, my band, The Word. My friend's band, The Church of the Seventh Angel. Uh, my band, Captive Bolt. My friend's band, Uncle Daddy. And, of course, uh, my new band, Everlasting Faint. Uh, what else we got? If you have questions or opinions, please feel free to email us at 84 ounces to freedom at gmail.com. That's the numbers 84, the letter OZ, the number 2, freedom at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Um, Instagram's for smart young kids. We're old, so we haven't figured Instagram out yet. We're still trying to figure out how to pin a tweet on Instagram. Yeah, whatever that is. I don't know. Uh, thanks for following along with us. We um, actually, this tower of beer is empty, which is good. Uh, we did up. 84 ounces, but just between the two of us, not yeah. individually. <laughs> we are on uh, Patreon. You can give money to us there. We can guarantee that all of that squander. money will be spent on beer or whiskey. Um, Strong drinking women. Possibly cocaine. Oh yeah, and I I am on the creepy pasta on forum wiki. Um, with my creepy pastas, um, there will probably be an episode ten point five. I'm free tomorrow. Which um will feature a creepy pasta um part three. We see the return of Bryce and Johan in this, and a new character. I'm hoping we can get uh, your neighbor our friend Mike Edenberry, to be on the podcast and uh, read the part of, I want to say the character's name is Marshall. It's, uh, it's a good one. Uh, the creepypastas are getting bigger and bigger all the time. Uh, I got to get back to writing them. Well, thanks for listening, you guys. And, uh, you know, just like this episode, two weeks from now, you'll have another episode. Because we are a firm bi-weekly podcast. Cheers, you guys. Also, we might do it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could happen tomorrow. It's We're... fucking like when it's convenient for us. That's right. Cheers, Cheers you guys. motherfuckers. <laughs>